0: Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman.
1: Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast where we talk about all things assisted reproductive technology. I am Jennifer White. I am here with my awesome, incredible, lovely, meeting my resolutions co-host. Uh, oh, I thought, you,
2: I, I thought for a second, I, I was starting to say like, oh, and then I was like, oh, maybe she's like talking about her dog next to her or something. But uh, no, no. Oh no, good. No, It was, was me. It right. was me. You're talking
1: about me. It, it, me. Was, yes. it was you. Hooray. Yeah. 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 No, you no, I, I, I do think you're awesome and incredible and wonderful. I mean, your dog but is I, also really sweet and nice next to you, right? I I do have really nice dogs too, but, but, uh, they do not normally make much of an appearance on the podcast. Every once in a while they have barked in the backgrounds, but you know, I I don't need to give them shout outs. Um, yeah. (laughs) Hey, so I have a question for you. Do you have any, like, so today's podcast, we talk about like shifts in perspective, um well not necessarily talk about we show a shift in perspective because last well, week we had Melina on yes I wanted to give that that kind of precursor that if you did not
2: get a chance to listen to last week's episode with yes. Melina um go back we'll if you want first. like this episode yeah. is still fantastic standalone you don't need it to understand it but I think it's really fun to hear the different perspectives because last week was um, a young woman who was born through egg donation surrogacy, um, raised by two dads. And then today we have her dad on who isn't just a dad. He's also an, you know, an expert in assisted reproductive technology as well. So, um, so he's good on his own, but it's also really lovely to hear both sides of the story of her. about So go
1: back, listen to that first and then come back, bookmark to hear, and then come back and listen here again, right, right at this moment. Yes. Because, so since it's talking about difference in perspectives, uh, have you ever had anybody come to you and be like, hey, my perspective has really changed about something? (laughs) Um, Yeah. Because sometimes it happens, right? (laughs) Yeah. For us too. But um, I had a great call the other day where I had a
2: client who, so... Um, same-sex female couple. Uh, a couple of years ago, one woman carried, and now I just got the amazing phone call that from her her spouse that she was now carrying that she was pregnant herself. And she was she was so funny. She was like, "I have to go back in time and apologize. I feel so bad." You know, when my Wife was pregnant, she would complain and she'd be tired. And I'd just be like, Ugh, suck it up. You know, I'd pretend to be nice, but I was just like, not really as understanding. And now that I'm going through it, I was like, wow, I should have been so much nicer. <laughs> that was so funny. Was just like, how many spouses get that where they both get to experience right? that intrusion. That is understand. a really unique
1: perspective. So yeah. <laughs> I did
2: suggest she should come on the podcast and tell her story. So Ooh, we'll see. So yes. it might be an upcoming episode at some point, but okay, that was good. fascinating to hear both sides of, of that.
1: Right. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I, I love that we have this unique opportunity to hear both sides of this same. Because, I mean, our original intent was we just wanted to talk to a donor conceived child and surrogacy conceived child, right? That w- we were really excited about that. And then as we talked to her, we were like, oh, I wonder if he will come on too. And so and we're so kindly lucky agreed. and so honored. Yes, it Thank was you,
2: Wilhelm, for agreeing to come on.
1: Um, I will in advance warn that I believe there's a few little funny breaks in there because we had to record over two sections, over two sessions, just because of tech and time. And I think on the second one, we had a little bit of a tech error bit on it. So be be a little patient with us just, but we did want to get all the pieces together in there. Oh, so and I think there's, might a, be a little disjointed. there's
2: even a surprise twist because between the first recording, and the second recording, the first recording affected yes. what he says in the second recording. So stay tuned for that.
1: Yes. Excellent. All right, here we go.
2: Welcome, Will Holm, to the podcast. Thank you for joining us.
0: I'm glad to be here.
2: So, Will, I'd like to introduce you as Melina's father. That that's it. That's <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> right? I At least I gave you a name. I mean, sometimes we just say like Melina's dad, and you don't even get like a first or last name. But um, you're used to that, right? I <laughs> I get that all the time. I'm
1: Katie's mom. You know. Right?
2: So. so, for those who haven't already listened to the episode before this, we interviewed Will's oldest child, Melina. And it was a beautiful interview. And we suggest you go back and listen to it if you haven't already. But we wanted to talk on the other side to um, her father, one of her father's experiences being her father and raising her. So... And separately, well, sorry, I will stop talking and actually get to interview you in a second. But um, I have to say, I mean, you of course are an inspiration to me. Um, you're also, since we're both attorneys and assisted reproductive technology, but you many, many years more in experience. So I've been excited to to try to walk in the in the path of greatness. Uh, uh-huh. I will also mention that we are both um, Golden Bears and uh, big firm law escapees to this area. So I, don't, I, I kind of feel like I'm that was the same. The person. most important part, though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and
1: also, also, does he know that he lives right by where we grew up, too?
0: What? No. No. you ever oh, told him
2: that? No. Yeah, I, I feel like so, no.
0: So, we grew up in Los Alamos. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. We live in Santa Fe, New Mexico. <laughs> I
1: know, right? We, we, we might have had a little bit of an excited freak out when
0: Melina
1: was so. <laughs> Okay. Let, let's
2: start at the beginning. Um, how did you meet your future partner to co-parent children with?
0: <laughs> so my, how did I meet my current husband? Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. You start with the hard one. Uh, <laughs> well, we met at a gay bar at three in the morning.
1: Woo. Whoa.
0: <laughs> well, that, that was it in those days. That's how you met other gay men. Well, men, gay men, met other gay men. Usually through bars. But it was way before Grindr and online dating and all of that. We just did the old-fashioned way of going into a bar and seeing who was around. Nice.
2: And um, that first 3 a.m. at the bar, you're like, hey, I'd like some kids. Do you see that in your future? No? you see surrogacy come in all the way? Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: I, it took a couple of years. We did move in pretty quickly. Um, so he's the youngest of 20 children and wow what yes what yes that's a whole other story um but i'm an only child so
2: can you do uh, the short version of that story
0: (laughs) (laughs) uh french canadian catholic um and back in the day the uh clergy or bishops uh, would knock on the door after you uh, gave birth, the mother gave birth, or the parents gave birth, and say, "Okay, when's the next one?" So it was all about population growth wow. back then. So all
2: all same parents, everything, yes. same wow. mother
0: and father. Uh, they were each a year apart. So wow, Marcelin's oldest sibling. He's the youngest. Oldest sibling is twenty years older than he is.
2: Wow. That's amazing. Okay. And you had no siblings.
0: Right. So I'm an only child. So I'm going to give you one guess as to who wanted children. Uh, <laughs> um, not him. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, being raised an only child, I thought, oh my gosh, I mean, I want to create a family. And of course, kids are involved in that. And Marcelin oh, was like, well, I've already done that. I, you know. <laughs> So he had to share a bathroom with, you know, 10 other siblings. So he was like, okay, but he, he was a good sport. uh, Definitely supported our, our efforts to create a family.
2: That's great. And at that time, what did things look like? Did it look like this was, you know, you had friends that are going through surrogacy or adoption. You had options. What did the landscape look like?
0: Okay. So this is the dark ages. (laughs) Uh, We knew no one no one who was uh, trying to do the same thing other than a few, uh, gay parents who were trying to do adoption and, uh, the professional support, everyone from psychologists to lawyers, to the few agencies that were around back then, uh, were and the medical professional as well. Very unsupportive. Wow. Yeah. We got the questions. So why do you want to become parents? I was like, wow, if we're a straight couple and just got married, would you ask us that question? You'd say, when are the kids coming, right? Right. So with yeah. that was why, why do you want to do this? Mm-hmm. So I said the same reasons why any person or a couple wants to be a parent.
2: And how did, so how many doctors until you found that right doctor?
0: Right. So uh, we explored adoption first. So this was more than 25 years ago. Uh, so we looked at adoption first and you had to, go through the motions and the ruse of, you know, being roommates. And I was going to say,
1: it's still uh, really discriminatory back then. Yeah. It,
0: yes. It was, And so and,
2: it, the theory is it's a single father uh, adopting. Is that the idea that that's with better?
0: A, with a roommate. <laughs> the roommate. Yeah. Uh, and I just thought it was, I didn't feel right to me to go through that process and have to lie. So uh, IVF and surrogacy was just beginning. We had, you know, IVF was getting you know, getting more common amongst uh, couples with fertility issues, but there were also some surrogacy cases popping up and we decided we would explore that. So we kind of went full steam ahead as far as we could, but of course there were like so many roadblocks.
2: Wow. And yeah, how did you, sure. I mean, right <laughs> now there's like so many egg donation agencies and surrogacy agencies and doctors to choose from. How did you find those pieces?
0: Uh, literally through word of mouth. <laughs> wow, friends of friends, acquaintances. We uh, made some. We made some bad choices, but thankfully, none oh. of them actually <laughs> produced a child. But we went through uh, our share of all the things that I now advise my clients not to do. We did. So interesting. We had so can I? ask you yeah. try?
2: Go, go ahead. So did you try traditional surrogacy, or what? What were those? missteps or non other steps. Oh God, where do we start? Okay.
0: So yes, we started with uh, traditional surrogacy with someone who was an acquaintance. Uh, and it turns out she had a drinking problem. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, no. yeah.
2: Surprise. Yeah.
0: So there was no background check, uh, genetic counseling, No, uh, psychological evaluation, no MMPIs. We just found a woman who we sort of knew, who seemed nice, was willing to do it. And we, uh, really pretty much wasted a lot of embryos. That thank God, thank goodness no pregnancy resulted, but we went through a number of cycles, very expensive, and we went through a lot of, you know, unhappy times.
1: That sounds like what a lot of people also still do if they search through groups like Facebook and things like that, though, sometimes. So that's still common.
2: But you had embryos. So you also had found a donor before this.
0: Well, no, this was traditional surrogacy. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we did IUI and all of that. Got it, got it. Um, Yeah. And then we also tried with the same... So the, the woman that we tried to use the traditional surrogate We also tried to use it as a gestational surrogate and did create embryos. So we did find one doctor, uh, Dr. Mesro, who no longer practices, but she was willing to help us. Uh, She was affiliated with USC, but I can't tell you the number of doctors who are currently active, helping gay people and couples who refuse, refuse to give us any medical uh, treatment back then. That has to be hard to see and bite your tongue. (laughs) Yes, it is.
2: I mean, I can even just a short time comparatively that I've been practicing, I've seen a big shift. So I, doctors who said they would never work with same-sex
0: couples, and now they do for sure. Exactly. And don't forget, this was the time of AIDS and HIV really being kind of the forefront of, you know, medical concerns and issues, especially for the gay male community. So it was a time when, okay, two guys want to be parents. There's no mother, which you know of course there's no mother, but everyone kept pointing that out. Three is professional lack of professional support. And yeah, a lot of the medical community was freaked out about HIV and AIDS. So I think there was just a lot of stuff swirling around 25 years ago that uh, really caused us a lot of problems and why it took us years and years and years to have our first child.
2: Wow, and just to give a little background, you at least were in a better position than, than many other same-sex couples. So you're a lawyer and your your spouse is a doctor, right? Correct. So hopefully, were those helpful?
0: <laughs> well, uh, even though my husband's a cardiologist, he did know of do- other doctors at USC. So I think that did help as far as finding one one doctor who was willing to create embryos for us.
2: And being a lawyer, what kind of lawyer were you at that oh. time? <laughs>
0: I was I was a corporate lawyer with a large firm in Los Angeles. Perfect, <laughs> Gibson, Gibson, Dunn and Crutcher. So, um, I was not doing anything in this field. So our first agreements pretty much were go to the library, you know, sketch out something on a napkin, wow. yeah. sort of sign it. I mean, yeah. I mean, in those days, we were just so desperate to find anyone who's willing to even entertain the idea of working with us or helping create a family that. You know, we didn't ask a lot of questions. We didn't. Make <laughs> your a lot donor, of you didn't
2: require to have like a perfect SAT and be five ten.
1: <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so how did you find your donor then? If if this was not, I, I mean, the typical way we we look at things now, right? You go to the agency, you look at the catalog. I mean, I assume that did not happen for you.
0: Uh, yeah, I wish you had a catalog. Uh, so it was again word of mouth, friends of friend. We went through. Several donors, actually, um, none of them created um, anything any child at, you know, for years, and then finally, we finally, for Molinas, who is our oldest child, after years of trying inappropriate surrogates i mean i can't even I'm embarrassed to tell you how bad <laughs> our initial surrogates were again they, none of them got pregnant. But one was in Guam wow. who it turned out was an alcoholic and said she was pregnant and milked us for money. We sent money to her like every month. Oh, wow. She wasn't pregnant. Wow. I mean, all the horror stories, you can actually tell people that, yes, they become true if you don't have professional oh, support. How
2: did you find out she wasn't pregnant? Did she fess up or?
0: We went, we went to, we went to like Guam.
2: Surprise? Surprise?
0: Surprise. <laughs> surprise. Yeah. 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 Wow. Okay. Surprise. yeah. yeah. Oh, you're you're wearing a bikini, and you're supposed to be six months pregnant. Yeah. that. Awkward! Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so we, uh, so with, so for Melina, what happened was so we still had the same doctor. Uh, one of Ma, uh, Marceline's colleagues in the medical professional field was willing to be a surrogate. And I had a friend who's willing to be an egg donor. And we, so we had necessary ingredients to, you know, make it work. And we were, this time, we we're kind of like ready to jump off the cliff. Uh-oh. Like, if this doesn't work, we're just gonna give up. Because it, we had been at it for like, you know, four or five years by then and exhausted yeah. and it was expensive. And we had you know, <laughs> so many weird people in and out of our lives that just, Oh my God, yeah. I can't even tell you. There's even more than. Okay, the give, ones us, I told give you. us one so, more. One more. Uh, so, anyway, so finally. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I can't even tell you. Uh, yeah. Since, I mean, some of the donors that we met, we, you know, again, they were 25 and young. And it turns out, you know, they've never had a kid. They, you know, one now oh. has this horrible family history, found out. So, you know, just, you know, we kind yeah. of we dodged some bullets actually along the way. So. Yeah. So with Melina, so we, okay. So uh, we created uh, 10 embryos with our friend, no 12, 12. And we, tra- and back in those days, you transfer a whole bucket full, right? Just to get one because you right? know, technology yeah. wasn't very good over 20 years ago. So the first time we transferred five, they didn't work. Then we transferred another five, and resulted in twins but there was a miscarriage early on so we had okay so oh. i hope i can say this on a podcast uh, but the last two were the crappiest according to the doctor <laughs> <laughs> they were like fractured and the, they she just stayed until the end and like okay so we had two frozen ones left the doctor says you have like a 20 30 chance because they're just like not very good and uh and we really did say you know we just can't go through this again and uh, Miracles of the Miracles, uh, Melina was the so you know, result started of as a as a crappy of embryo, crummy
1: embryo. Um,
0: you're not the first person that's actually said that as well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we had another guest who, same thing, they transferred to one was really great, one was really bad, and they know which was which because of gender. All and right. a really horrible one. <laughs> the doctor's like, we're just going to chuck that one in there because whatever. So and that's know. the one that took. You yeah, so. never know. <laughs> Shows tenacity. That's what it is. Tenacity exactly. and perseverance.
0: Exactly. And another, uh, so Melina, of course, you know, successfully, successful pregnancy. Of course, back in the day, no one knew the hospital didn't know who we were, you know, what our rights were. Us. So there was all that, all those issues. But, um, yeah. but one cool thing was my, Melina was born on the same day as my mother. So oh. that was a very kind of sweet moment because my mother yeah. said, like, it'd be great if she could be born on April 12th. And, and she was oh. due, she was due before then, but mm-hmm. somehow she held on until April 12th. That Aww. is sweet.
2: Love it. So in the hospital, were people judgy or how did that go? And you're there, we're like, we're the parents.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't remember too much, but I just, I think they were, they were not judgy so much as, Okay. So kind of just confused about legally what to do. And, and there were no medical issues, thank goodness, because then they would have really been in a tiz about, you know, Nick, you and who signs papers and all that sort of stuff.
1: Right. Well, so what did you do? I mean, since obviously you were a trailblazer in all of this legally, do you want to go
0: back and address how, how, how you got there? You know, so uh, from the legal point of view and Melina's birth. Yes. Okay. So, uh, of course, you know, again, I probably sketched out some sort of rough surrogacy agreement. But it was really with friends. So the legal yeah. part. So she, s- she so signed old. the
2: napkin. Okay. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then, um, so this is before parentage judgments, um, period. And, right? There, I mean, there, as far as I know, there were no parentage judgments anywhere around the globe in the surrogacy case at that point. So uh, we, uh, one of our names went on the birth certificate. And the other had to go through a second parent adoption. Um, And we actually confirmed both of us being the legal parents just because it was such a strange thing. We want to make sure that, you know, kind of felt in suspenders. So we both kind of legally adopted our first child and we had to have a home study (laughs) with the social services, you know, uh, agent there. And of course, we had a nanny uh, we had to be fingerprinted at the sheriff's office in West Hollywood, and our our nanny had to be fingerprinted. So oh, she, wow. she freaked out and almost quit because, like, so I thought, <laughs> "Did you just just have a baby? I mean, I'm a, net, a baby nurse. Why do I need to go to the sheriff's department?" Right? She to fingerprinted. So she, yeah, she almost quit. Oh wow! And why did she have to be
2: fingerprinted? Just as part of the home study? She lived yeah, with because she yeah, because
0: she was yeah. yeah, she was living with us for a while, so. Social yeah. service required anyone in the household to be fingerprinted. Uh, so it's like, yeah, she thought the whole thing was... But she, after after a couple of weeks of everything being calmed down, she kind of like, oh, okay, I, I get why all that happened. But she was very confused in the beginning.
2: Mm, yeah. So you passed your home study.
0: Yeah. So the d- doctor went through.
2: And the judge was, yes, this is good. There wasn't any, you know... Um, judgment or confusion at that point. No, because it
0: was, an adop- it was an adoption. Yeah, okay. It was the second round with our second son Luke, where uh, that was the first time we asked for a parentage judgment for a gay couple in a in a surrogacy case, a gestational surrogacy case. So that was a little bit more. Leading up to that, took a lot more research and and all of that.
2: Right. Well, congrats on getting that first judgment. Right. <laughs> So how did it? How did it? What inspired and how did it work to move your family from California then to New Mexico?
0: So we did that after all of our three kids were already born in an elementary school. So uh, we moved about twelve years ago to Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, we were in Los Angeles, and you know, good school for all the three kids, and living in you know a nice neighborhood in L.A. Everything was you know seemed really good. And then I think just we all wanted to change. And well, especially me and Marceline, I think it's like, uh, you know, we're going to be here for the rest of our lives and kind of they had a middle age crisis of some sort, I think, and decided to move to Santa Fe and get the kids really out of the more, you know, bigger city kind of Hollywood-esque, if you will, LA yeah. and move to a smaller town. But it's been great for them. They're very grounded. And I think the Santa Fe upbringing has been really terrific for them.
2: That's great. So we talked a lot to Melina about what it was like to grow up having a family that didn't look identical to all those around you. As a parent, what were those challenges that you found having a family that didn't always match those around you when the kids were younger?
0: Um so we, we're, when the kids were younger, we were in two different, very different environments, right? One was mm-hmm. Los Angeles mm-hmm. um, and then, then Santa Fe. And I think there were a lot of similarities. I think there's a lot of diff- more, more similarities than differences. Yeah. So um, even in Los Angeles, which was a very kind of well-known private elementary school, there were, uh, gosh, we were one of the first gay male couples um, at the school, which was surprising being, you know, being in LA and everything else. Uh, there were a few, maybe one or, I, I think there was a, there was very fewer than you think. And I think when we were attending, uh, we were one of one or two, I think two gay male couples uh, with kids there. So, I mean, that in itself makes a difference. So at the school, I think I went out of my way to be very involved with the school and, you know, PTA and running oh, good. the gala and yeah. Oh, and you ran the gala. Good work. Yeah. So, you know, just kind of get really like, I think we have to kind of be better than some of the regular parents, straight regular parents, if you will, um, just to show that, you know, we have to prove ourselves like, hey, we can be good parents, you know, two dads yeah. can really be caring and hands on and they're not just going to work and dropping off the kids and all of that. So I I really try to be more of, the parent who got involved with school activities. That That's was, great. I think really important. Yeah. But one thing that I faced though, was the traditional mother, daughter, father, I, son kind of activities. Event. I was just
1: about to ask about that. Yeah. Cause like yes. we talked about that with her about whether it, like mother's day and when they start prepping kids for stuff like that, how did that affect you?
0: Yeah. So I, I had to say again, learning curve, right. We were one of the first gay parents actually in a lot of these schools. So, I first spoke to the principal, then spoke to the teachers about being sensitive on Mother's Day um, and asking them, like, can you make it broader? Like some countries, like Holland, now has just Parents' Day or something. Um, so I was trying to like, and they wouldn't change it completely, but they were more sensitive in talking to the class, like, maybe you know, some of you may not have a mother, and da da da. Basically, it was Molina. Oh, <laughs> some they were of talking you, to, yeah. So um but anyway, so the school is very good, very sensitive in Los Angeles, and I I found the same in, in Santa Fe as well, even though there were no gay families at all. No, one other in uh the our Santa Fe elementary school. There was one other gay family, but again, just two out of you know, many. hmm
2: And did you spend much time with that other family to try to form
0: at least like a mini community or or no? Oh absolutely. Absolutely. So I would say that in both schools, we definitely uh, tried to socialize, uh, not not exclusively, of course, but more yeah. with gay and lesbian parents. Uh, because we, you know, there's a lot, to, I mean, back again, 20 years ago, things that are taken for granted, like, of course you don't do this, of course you don't do that. They did all of that. They did every kind of thing that you could would find offensive now, like, you know, a mother's daughter talk on human development as if fathers have no, you know, need right. to learn or to, You know, be close to the daughters on that subject, and if you have no mother, then and you have two dads, and at least one of them should be sitting in and learning about all that and not be excluded.
2: Right. Right. I mean, again, it is helpful to have a doctor, right? Who's like, okay, female development. I'm going to talk to you. I'm ready.
0: (laughs) Well, I don't know. He's a cardiologist. Oh, okay. That wasn't (laughs) part
2: of med school. I don't know. I
0: I I have to talk. Yeah, yeah, it was more political than medical. Actually, Mm. it's more of a political thing within the world of education, things again, that we take for granted today, that 20 years ago, they weren't even thinking about. They didn't didn't see anything wrong with like a mother's daughter tea and a father's son football game or something. You know, they just didn't, it didn't enter their consciousness that 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 was like, hey, you might be excluding some families or this doesn't fit every family model anymore, you know? So things have changed. I think a lot, a lot of schools are, you know, have definitely, you know, uh, moved, moved forward and recognizing all sorts of different types of families, including the forms you get, right? It used to be just, right. you know, mm-hmm. mother, father and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And the classroom talk about family tree projects <laughs> when you got yeah. a surrogate and an egg donor and it gets, right. so, and the teacher's like, well, we've been giving this assignment for, you know, 50,000 years. And I was like, well, I know, but things have changed. Um, <laughs> so it sounds like you were really proactive that you were talking to the teachers,
2: talking to the principal about these issues as they came up.
0: Absolutely. And didn't even know the answers, but just definitely. Talking to them and making them more sensitive
2: was yeah. No, that's that's great. And did you have times where Melina or one of your other kids might come home and have kind of a sensitive issue or um, along those lines? And what were the best ways that you would deal with it if it was kind of this not not fitting in, look not looking like everyone else around you?
0: Yeah. So I would say that. The three of my kids maybe um, it's not something they actually I've learned later that there were incidents at school and everything else, but they never sort of sh- shared them with us and they never came home distraught or, you mm-hmm. know, emotionally, you know, yeah. looking as if something had happened. So I would never have even asked about it. But you know, but definitely I don't know if I didn't listen to Million's podcast yet, but <laughs> yes. um, once I when I do, um she may I, I think I know Hi. she shared in yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. She shared, you know, certain incidents in elementary school. I know one thing I do remember at uh when she was in second or third grade, one of the parents said or the teacher said, Yeah, Melina said like her someone's like, well, where's your mother? And she says, Oh, like um either she said she she was dead or she lived in a foreign country, you know, just made up some Yeah you know, fabricated something just to give an answer mm-hmm. rather than saying, I don't have one. So, um I think that was kind of important for us, even though we're on the learning curve. You know, we were very clear with the kids: like, you don't have a mother. And back in the day, it maybe sounded heartless or something, because a lot of like, well, everybody has a mother. Can you really say that? Da, da, da. So we were questioning our own selves, but we really, yeah. did, she did, really didn't have a mother, right. so we couldn't really say, you know, your donor is your mother, or and we don't use, we didn't use the term. Well, I was one of the first professionals, I think, to just use the word surrogate, not surrogate mother, because I know some families who've been really, kids were really confused about mother, mm-hmm. the term mother, surrogate, all of right. that. I was pretty clear they didn't have a mother, but it was something that maybe sounded harsh to the kids or maybe sounded as if we're hiding something. Uh, so if I go back in time, um, I'm sure their recollection of all of that is different than mine, where I saw you know, just trying to, you know, again, this was untested waters for all of us. So, for us to say, you know, really, you have two dads, you don't have a mother. Again, that was the reality. But I don't know how it landed on the kids, and I did, certainly didn't see a lot of bullying or or um, sensitive moments. But they, you know, those are probably like slights here and there, or something they overheard, or again being asked, you know. Where's like your mother rushing. and maybe they lied lied about that, so there's nothing they would bring come home and say, "Oh yeah, I lied that you know our mother's in a different country or something like that, but and I'm sure it happened
2: How did you talk to them about an egg donor and a surrogate? Was that something you started the conversation early or just when it came up how did How did you address that
0: Yeah, so um certainly we talked about surrogacy from the beginning because every child knows that you know. They didn't, each of our childhood didn't come from my, right, my right yeah right so that was the obvious so you know they all knew the names of their surrogates oh, um, you know showed them some pictures but none of them have been keenly interested in wanting more information and we have you know uh, I keep in Facebook contact with uh, one of them and uh, the other two, I think we can, we can reach. So we haven't stayed really close, mm-hmm. but I was going to ask you know, that. very friendly.
1: Yeah. Molina, I, cause I asked her that question if she had curiosity, cause that's like the current trendy thing right now, of course, right. That all donor conceived children are, you know, have intense curiosity about who they came from. And she said she wasn't. So I was interested about you. Like that you said you were friendly with your donor when you, when that started. So are you still, are you still in contact with her donor or is it the other donors or is it, you know, like how, how does that work? Cause I think that's, that's a fascinating part to me is that there's a difference between the children's kinship and also you as the parent's kinship to your donor too.
0: Right. So each of the kids had, and it wasn't planned this way, but each of the kids had different surrogates and each had different donors. Because it was just because, you know, how, how many embryos you created and what, what worked in cycles and all of that. So, so um, and and with our second son, I had started already professionally thinking about creating something to support gay couples through surrogacy. So I was in a much more professional frame of mind when we were trying to create child number two uh, from, from Melina, where, again, we were just looking word of mouth, trying to find people who we knew, because there was no there was no agency that would help us back then Um, would help a gay couple. Um, So we, we had to really rely on, you know, just again, asking people. So with, so with Melina and her, her donor, who is a friend of mine, we haven't maintained um, communication, but you know, I, I know I can reach her. I know what she lives outside the country and she's married and all of that. So, So I could find her, but we've, We've never we haven't been in contact for a while. Uh, her and her surrogate, um, well, again, who was working in the professional medical field. We haven't kept. I mean, again, everything ended very nicely, and everything else. But once we had our family, we sort of uh, we moved away, you know, things like that. Just like you know, you're it's kind of like college friends, you know. It's you just sort of lose touch after a while, but but you still have good feelings.
2: Yeah, yeah. Do you anticipate that? any one of your kids might be more curious about the donor and you might be facilitating that in the future.
0: Yeah. So I know how to reach, um, so, so with our second, our two sons, uh, child number two and number mm-hmm. three, it became more professional. So anonymous egg donors and agencies started popping up. So we use professional agencies for both of our yeah. sons. So that is, Totally changed the dynamic, as you know, right. right? Their numbers back in those days. So today you can see videos, you get a lot of information. Then I don't think even genetic counseling was done. I mean, it was just bare bones, kind of like, you know, had a medical visit. Um, she looks good. Uh, mm-hmm. She reports nicely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even reputable agencies. I mean, you know, we've all learned so much. So this is really the baby steps of uh, donor agencies back. So Luke, our uh, middle is 21 and Harley, our youngest is 18. So can you imagine moving back to embryo stage with them and right. creation of embryos and donors that gets back into 20 years, a couple decades ago. So even the best agencies with well, that are well-intentioned didn't have the arsenal of information that we need. We know now that you need, you know, all of this testing evaluation done. It just wasn't done. And a lot of times, we didn't even, they didn't even keep records. So, you know, after five or seven years. So.
2: Wow. So, so those two, so Molina's donor was a friend, but the yes. next two anonymous. So you do not know?
0: No, no. So, well, we knew there were numbers, okay. uh, but we don't know. We don't know their, their legal names, but I know the agencies. Mm-hmm. So I could, I know one of our donors, um, I contacted and that agency is still in contact with her. And, and if our son ever wanted to find out about that donor, I know we have access to that donor. And the second one, I know the agency is still in existence. So I'm pretty sure I could find out through that agency if we wanted, if my, one of our, the other son, one of that donor could, could track them down. But we haven't done, we haven't done that yet. Neither, neither it has that.
2: Um, and of course, there's always the DNA test, right? You have, has anyone wanted yeah, right. to do the Ancestry.com or 23andMe?
0: Sure. Yeah. So I talk about this all the time. Yeah. I mean, there is uh, really no anonymity anymore, as we all know, right? Right. So uh, social media, facial recognition, uh, DNA testing, all of that is th- – there's so many ways to find a donor. and Or even the old-fashioned investigative approach works as well because you have – you, so nowadays people know so much about the donor they know what college and gpa and what classes and everything else it's probably easy to track down a donor and if they
1: have a name that has a very a slightly unique spelling or you know any of those things it makes it very Yeah easy.
0: yeah and they'll know what I mean they, they you know now donor profiles are are very extensive as you know uh so it's very comprehensive information so-
2: when you were taking your kids to the pediatrician, for example, when they were, um, when they were young and you're filling out those forms and it's asking about the family history, would you just like cross it out, right?
0: donor or what, what would you do? <laughs> well, that's a co- good question. I still don't know the answer to. So all those times I, I would put um, donor or I'd leave mm-hmm. it blank and no... No, through no mental exam of the, of the kids, they've been, you know, they've had broken yeah. arms and medical exams and everything else. Not one doctor, not one has ever followed up on, well, do you know any information of the donor? Never, never any questions about the donor. And so either say not, not applicable <laughs> NA or put donor yeah. or I, I do different things. I, I don't know, depending on kind of what mood I'm in, but no one, it's like, oh, you know, maybe this is not going to be sufficient, but no one never questions it. I wonder if they
1: treat children via adoption the same way though, that they just go, eh, well, just not going to ask like, yeah,
2: adoption. Well, yeah. and on the other genetic side, so I see this a lot with same sex couples who don't want to acknowledge who is genetically related to the child. Just say, you know, we're both parents. We don't want there to be a distinction. How did you address that issue? Were you open with who was genetically related to what
0: child? Um, we're, well, I can speak mm-hmm. for myself. I'm not open and, you know, uh, sort of my, my yeah. bias, I guess, is, uh, again, I, I think families are created through sure. many means. I think the biological aspects to me are way overplayed, you know, in our legal world and cultural society, the culture, society yeah. and all of that. So I, and if you have siblings who are not genetically related, then, I know couples where they're very open about it, and families will make you know will say, "Oh, that's you know that looks just mm-hmm. like so and so in the family." Da You know, so there, there's all kinds of ways yeah. that can happen every day that can make siblings, you know, in a family, feel less like siblings or different from each other than if yeah. So it, it's it's I walk we walk this fine balance between being secretive. Or hiding something to, listen, this is really just not that important of an element in our family. But not not being ashamed of it because we, you know, everyone knows that Marceline and I don't have wombs and we don't have eggs. So (laughs) it came from somewhere. Uh, So it's pretty obvious. Um, I I personally, uh, I think up to a certain age, would keep that aspect of who the bio contributors are, um, kind of like not part of the main conversation about family and creation. Yeah. That's that's my feeling about it. Because again, we were open in the very, very beginning when our first surrogate with Melina became pregnant, and we like, oh we were th- oh, why not tell the world, right? right? Well, of course, family members then uh-huh. started saying things that like, oh, I think maybe this was like the wrong thing. So I decided like just to shut up for a while and see how it played out. And then I find that, especially with having two other um, siblings after, two other children after Melina, that accentuating the uh, biological part, I think overshadowed a lot of other things because we're so bionormative in our thinking. Mm -hmm. That's one of Melina's terms that I picked up. Uh, so <laughs> I'm trying to, we're trying to stay away from the, America. yeah, yeah. And, so,
2: and I'm sure people asked you that just because that is, because of that, um, inclination towards bio norms, I guess. So if a relative asked you like, oh, who's genetically related, how would you, um, approach that answering that question?
0: I say we don't say. We don't say. Yeah. yeah. And I said, if the kids ever want to know, uh, so Melina, when she turned uh, thirteen or fourteen, was speaking on a teen panel about th- this very subject. Oh well. So I th- then said, you know, this is, these are all the facts of your, you know, who your donor was, and da da da, and everything else like that. And so I, because I thought she needed to prepare for that. And, and, that, and that included
2: publicly. who was the the genetic father.
0: Yes. Yes. Right? Absolutely.
2: And that, oh, I, and was that the first time she found that information out?
0: I don't know. I mean, I, I sat down with her to be very clear before she spoke on, it was for a family quality team panel. And I okay. thought she should be really informed before she gets up on, you know, a yeah. panel and, t- and talks to other kids. So she's, you know, can give her own version side of things. Sure. And the two boys have not been, they have not asked about their donors. They have not asked about their, who the sperm donors are their, You know, I mean, We're so I'm Asian American, Mm -hmm. my partner is Caucasian, so we decided to use donors who reflected the race of the partner that was not contributing sperm. So our kids are all biracial, makes sense. Yeah, so So it's
2: not obvious, in other words,
0: right? At least not immediately, right? Yeah.
2: Well, I would love to know how, in the midst of all your personal adventures, becoming a parent, raising kids, how your career transitioned from being a big firm litigator to becoming an expert in the field of assisted reproductive technology and really helping others. How did that go? Was it sudden? Was it gradual?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was gradual. Uh, I'll try to make a long story short. Um, (laughs) Actually, I left big corporate law firm practice while we were trying to create a family because I knew I didn't want to work full time. So I transitioned into corporate consulting, you know, a lot of large corporations, but I had a lot of free time. And most important thing that I did back then legally, I think, was totally had no expectation of being actually in the legal business of assisted reproduction. But uh, when Marcel and I, you know, trying to create Melina, uh, I realized there was very little, if any, legal resources. I went to the law library. uh, Look, you know, back in the day, there wasn't so much Googling, but, you know, definitely tried to (laughs) find what was out there. And there was very, very little. And, of course, there were no statutory laws or anything. so. I and we sort of talked about the contract on the napkin, but in the it was pretty close to that. And after I started getting into it, I realized that there were other um, couples out there and single parents who didn't really know how to secure their legal rights other than through the kind of ill fitting adoption model. And that's what got me intrigued in the whole field. And I started um, studying and just really, cu- the, the few of us that were doing it back then, 20 years ago, uh, we were kind of learning by the seat of our pants. Mm-hmm.
2: Ha- has there been any changes in the last 20 years?
0: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> a
1: few? Just a few, right?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. On every front. So Not first really. of all, there's, uh, of course, statutory laws across the country in a number of states. There's been uh, judicial decisions, mostly positive, across the United States. There's been a huge administrative bureaucratic shift in recognizing uh, non-traditional families, uh, parentage judgments. So now birth certificates across the country can reflect same-gender couples, but also single parents. Um, so that is... I think in the our real world of what affects our intended parents, it's really the administration and the bureauc- bureaucracy that has really been supportive on the main front of recognizing um our our parents through surrogacy and egg donation and sperm donation.
2: Yeah, absolutely. How do you recommend that people who are in your in your shoes now starting out
0: Start. Where do they go for advice? Do you well, give consults? I think... <laughs> can, they
1: sign up? can I, I, did, can I they sign up with you? Of,
0: I get a lot of emails and uh, you know quests. Uh, the f- most important is to go to the conferences. So we have two major, organiz- legal organizations that are geared towards assisted reproduction attorneys. One's, of course, the. Um, art section of the ABA, family law section, and two is Quad A. Um, Ellen, you're familiar with Quad A, of course. And so I would suggest that they attend the conferences um, and really kind of get to know the community because it is, even though there are a lot more attorneys than there were 20 years ago in this field, certainly there's a lot of... um, Attorneys, there's a lot of states to cover. there's a lot of counties to cover, so the practice has been really robust
1: and, and what I'm, about oh I'm sorry Ellen oh, so, but what about people also who are not attorneys as well where would you where would you send them to start um start this journey as well what would what would be your kind of favorite resources for for people who are just you know any couple or any single person planning to be part of family
0: and ah, so from the intended <laughs> parent side mm-hmm. sure, yeah. Because uh, so, you're
1: both,
2: right? You went through Right. You got you went exactly. all sides of it.
0: <laughs> so uh, it depends what, I mean, for example, there's um, Family Equality Council acquired um, uh, Path, uh, what is it? Path-, path to
1: Parenthood. Yeah. Yeah. Path, path to, to
0: Parenthood. parenthood. Yep. So gr- organizations like that uh, definitely aimed at uh, couples looking at assisted reproduction. If you happen to be a gay man or a woman couple, then, of course, there's men having babies, which just you know, allows everybody into their conferences. There's a lot to learn there. And uh, a lot of the gay and lesbian centers have uh, assisted reproduction resources and lists of uh, people to go to.
2: Yeah, no, definitely. A great, great start. And I've kind of been amazed by all the other resources that are popping up. I don't know if there's some that you like or have seen, but where there's now kind of fertility coaching and agencies yes. of agencies and lots of kind of general options that were
0: never there before. You're right. You're right. So, you know, there's, of course, like there's seeds as well as an organization. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. guess the reason I talk more about organizations is they're, they're a little bit vetted <laughs> because sure, they've been out there established, and you know they're held accountable by a larger population. Some of the individuals, since it's, this is an area uh, uh, that's not regulated, my concern, of course, is anyone handing hanging out a shingle saying they're this or that and really have no experience or the or the qualifications to really be advising somebody else. So that's my fear.
2: Yeah, that's fair. So do your research you know check up on someone. I mean it's funny we we talk a lot about kind of disaster cases and we did an episode where we talked about theresa Erickson and um, specifically with Kim Surratt who was involved with the FBI and wiretapping and she always she notes kind of the irony that you know she was known as the expert and she was on TV and you know known by everyone. And so it's true that you should be doing your research, but also at the same time, it's a little it's a little hard, right? It is tough to yeah. know.
0: Absolutely. And I hope uh I mean Teresa Erickson, um, you know, it's unfortunate what she did and everything else, but of course, silver lining is it really made people realize that the seriousness of what we do, um As far as, you know, legal professionals, because a lot of times we just do contracts, push out paper and everything else. And we're not really thinking that, you know, there are human beings involved. There are, you know, you know, certain laws in place that we have to respect. And I think everyone stood back and like, wow, this is serious. And I'm glad we're glad it's serious. And I think a lot of discussion and a lot of good changes came out of that.
2: Yeah. No, that's I like the silver lining. So. Well, what do you see for the future for your family? Three more kids?
0: Maybe three more grandkids, but certainly no. not. Kids. No, pre-
2: <laughs> no pressure, Melina. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. yeah.
0: No. grandkids um, are easier right here. So yeah.
2: Oh, I've heard that too. Yeah. Um, and what do you see for the future of the legal profession, assisted reproductive technology, or medicine? Do you do you kind of see things about to change again? Or yes,
0: absolutely. So I think it's going to continue to grow. I think the big questions, the two big questions looming, is one global is are more countries going to open up surrogacy uh for uh people around the world, in which case the US would not be sort of surrogacy central anymore. So yeah. you know, I think that think would that be a good happen? thing for the planet actually is to have more sister reproduction available closer to where you live or in other parts of the world. And hopefully the you know, there's you have to have of course three three legs of the stool, right? You need the the, the medical part, you need a good clinic and everything else. Two, you need a legal system that will recognize parents through surrogacy as the legal parents. And that's a problem in most of the world. And the third is um, things like citizenship and, um, you know, birth rights, what We need to be clear what's going to happen if we uh, engage in surrogacy outside of the US. So, I'm, which I'm, again, it may not be in the best interest of the American surrogacy industry, but I do feel like it would be great for more countries to sort of open up uh, surrogacy and make it more stable and consistent.
2: Do you think it will happen?
0: I I think, uh, yeah, I think Europe, uh, one, let me, possibly Spain, it would be, opening up in the future, uh, South America, yeah. possibly Argentina. Um, we've just sort of been looking at things. I think a Puerto Rico might be, I mean, it's, it's still U.S., but a territory. I was say, te-
1: Technically it's the U.S., right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but, but more affordable and, you know, it's just a sort of a different population. And, um, so it's, it's possible that, you know, people in South America would be more comfortable with, going to the Caribbean for their assisted reproduction and all of that. So I think one is on a global front, it's like what countries are going to open up and provide a stable environment for assisted reproduction. And the second big thing is regulation, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. how much should we be regulated on a state, hopefully not federal, not because I'm against the federal government, but you Mm -hmm. know, it's, you know, it's, I think that'd be too big of a, kind of a overlay of, of laws, but if we went by our parentage and family laws, which are, you know, state driven, it's the question is how much do they regulate? And Ellen, I'm sure it's the same with you. Um, I get requests to help with bills or drafting in different yeah. states. And
2: Colorado's supposed to have a lot of excitement this year. I know. So
0: and it's like how see. general, I mean, I think we want to stay general and flexible in our laws and we don't want to get too restrictive or too specific. And I think, but, you know, there's a fine line between what's, you know, too much detail and what's not, so.
2: hmm no, makes sense. So, yeah, so for listeners, aside from taking away this, like, very touching story of how Will grew his family and the advice, if you want to get involved legally, there's also lots of opportunity involved on the legislative side, mm-hmm. as many states are looking to pass new or more comprehensive laws in the area. So that that will be something that, everyone can get involved
0: in absolutely can i give you to some um credit so always uh you know melina and i talked more about egg donate you know her egg donor and da 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 you know it was a really good conversation very like oh yeah you know i think i could f- you know probably find the egg donor and you know it might be a little curious um and then our youngest son we're happened to be on vacation here our middle son's in europe but our youngest son was here and then melina kind of went and I, our discussion kind of spilled over to him and he said you know i think i would like to meet my egg donor oh um, no so it just it's, it just elicited a lot of very open positive conversation and i think i said before it's like we haven't accentuated in our family or emphasized it because, again, of shame or secrets or anything else like that. It was just because we really wanted to bring to the forefront that, you know, the family bonding is not about biology. So, again, yeah. but it was great to have an open conversation about what their feelings were about their own egg donor.
2: That's great. That. Well, I'm I'm glad that you're able to have an open conversation and discuss it more. So, did you then reach out to the donor? Is that kind of in the works?
0: Well, I think Melina it, it has a, a a connection there that could turn into a a, a meeting or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That's awesome. And then we our, our young future follow up. <laughs> yeah, and our right. youngest. So we we never talked about it, but uh, just I think it was yesterday or day before yesterday. Just said. You know, I was always thinking about, I'd be curious to see, you know, what she looks like and what she's like and all of that sort of stuff. So,
2: Yeah. yeah. And I feel like that's kind of a big part of it, that, you know, kids or parents, there's so much like fear when really it's more curiosity. So I, I think it's nice. You can just kind of get curiosity satisfied and be open without kind of fearing that you're, you know displacing a parent or not recognizing
0: right. that they are. So there's parents. fear on both sides, right?
2: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah. So our kids are probably thinking, Oh my God, if we ask this question, they're going to think we, we don't want them as parents. And then the parents like, well, what if they meet that their donor and they're like, they like them more than us.
1: What well, was one of our guests once said that <laughs> she, she felt like people were accusing her as an egg donor of the longest kidnapping scam possible. And she's like, no, I really have no intention. <laughs> and,
0: uh, Uh,
2: right we're like she's curious she wants to see see what the kids would look like yeah you know but doesn't
1: plan on stealing your kids that's very funny yeah so no it's been incredible i really wanted to hear the perspective of from a parent and a child together i mean i think that it is it it, one melina is so well spoken as i sit here and stutter through saying that (laughs) (laughs) but i mean she just was was such a delight to talk to so I, i really wanted to hear uh part of where that came from. So I, I'm really glad that you came <laughs> and talked to okay.
2: us. So we're well, so glad you that us. you came and talked about your spouse. Just
1: kidding. No. not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. So thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Thank you.
2: Thank you, Will, for sharing your story, for opening up um, intricate details about your family and your life to us and the world. We appreciate it so that others can really feel not alone and supported. I think it it was an amazing gift to do that with us, Um, as well as sharing your expertise um, with us and with all of your clients. So, you know, for those out there, know that Will is a great legal resource.
1: Yes. Yes. Super ground groundbreaking legal resource too. Like right? he, he knows every. He knows it all. And he lives in Santa Fe. So come <laughs> on. Right. <laughs> it's awesome. Oh, uh, but if you ever want to share your resources with us, please do. Always. Like I always have to put this little the, my little shill in here. Right. Uh, call us at 303-997-1903 or send us a message through our website or through Facebook. Um, Ellen's still working on the Instagram, so maybe don't send it on the Instagram yet or through Twitter. Because Do it. Maybe you know, I'll promise. see it. Maybe. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> maybe try now it. A, now there's gonna be a dare out there. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what will happen.
2: Two years but, from now, I'll be like, what? I have a message on Twitter. Right? I
1: have a message on Twitter? How did that happen? Oh, uh, but no! Huge thank you to the people that make us sound incredible, Chris at Work at Bird Studio. I'm going to thank Tyler first <sighs> this time because then I won't forget um, Amanda, Ashley, Lexi in our office. Lexi's baby, um, who was Lexi's there. baby, gestating for much of the work, right? Like who's helping her go on? Yeah, no, absolutely. So we really appreciate them, and we appreciate that you take time out of your day to listen to us. So thank you so much.